Sorry for interrupting your conversations. My name is Jose. We're thrilled that you're here. We're in a new series uh, called Holy Spirit. And uh, there's nothing really to talk about in terms of coming up this week because a lot of it is the same. But we do want to draw your attention. If you walked in and you were not given one of our community group discussion guides, I would encourage you to grab it before you go. Or we have it digitally. It's on the website. If you're in one of our community groups, which is the majority of you, you could always go to your app and you could download it. Make sure you review these questions because today's conversation and the conversation this week is going to be really enjoyable, but you're going to need to pay attention. So if you don't believe in caffeine, the problem is you, right? Because I hope you are caffeinated and ready because uh, what we want to do is talk about the forgotten God. The Holy Spirit is often called the forgotten God. The Father we know, right? Jesus the Son we know. But then there's the Spirit, which you see all over the Bible. And today we're going to be looking at who the Holy Spirit is. Uh, next week we're going to be looking at how we see the Holy Spirit at work in the first part of the Bible that we call the Old Testament. Then we're going to flip in the week after that, and it's going to take a few weeks. We're going to look at the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus, and that's going to lean us in to celebrate the coming of Jesus as we look at Advent this uh, Christmas. But uh, we saw last week that the Holy Spirit is above, right? And we're going to focus on that today. And then the Holy Spirit is within and through. For this next section, for these next few weeks, really making our way towards Christmas we don't want to rush. What does it mean when we say the Spirit is above? Well, we saw last week that the Holy Spirit is a person, capital P, not a force. There are lots of metaphors, and we're going to look at many of them today in the Bible that speak to the activity of the Spirit. But when we think of God the Father, we're thinking of a person that is knowable, relational. When we think of Jesus the Son, that is a person he was enfleshed and he dwelt among us. And human beings saw the glory of God. Mind-blowing! God walked on the planet. And I have been to many of the cities, and for those of you who have been to the Holy Land and seen, I've been where Jesus walked and ate and slept. God dwelt among us. So we think of God Father as a person. We think of God Son as a person. But it's harder for us because the word spirit, to think of the Holy Spirit as more than a force. And last week, review, but if not, catch the podcast. We realize that means that the Holy Spirit has a will, has desires, that the Holy Spirit has truths, that the Holy Spirit guides, that the Holy Spirit advocates, surrounds us, loves us, cares for us, and is relational. And I was a part of two community groups this week, and it was so encouraging to hear these conversations come up as we're trying to think through what does that actually mean? And some of you, uh, you notice on the back of your guide that there are questions. You can go to the QR code off of your phone. Those of you who are newer to that, ask your grandchild. You know, uh, but just go to the, you, you pop it open, the thing, and it's one question. And it's, what's your question about the Holy Spirit? Well, four of you asked questions. I'm going to read them out. They were kind of the same. And I was so giddy because it was exactly what we're going to talk about today. Someone asked... If we pursue a relationship with the Holy Spirit, does that mean we pray directly to the Holy Spirit? Am I supposed to pray to the Spirit? Another question. How do you know when the right time to pray or ask the Holy Spirit versus God versus Jesus? And does it even matter? Good question. 
another one. One question came up in our community group. When should we pray to the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit? It's like you were all part of the same group. <laughs> you know, people are asking the same thing. And then someone asked, why is it important that the Holy Spirit's a person and not an impersonal force? So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to answer it's really surrounding who is the Spirit. I'm going to answer these questions at the end because the pathway for today is going, to, is going to make those answers clear. Two goals for today. We're going to look first at the titles, names, metaphors. When you see the Spirit in the Bible, how do the Bible writers, guided by God, describe God the Holy Spirit? How, what are we to see? What are we to learn from that? And then the second thing is what, are, what does it mean to say that the Spirit is God, that these are questions we want to answer today. And I love it. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, oh, it's real simple. Love God with all of your mind, soul, heart, strength. Love God with your mind. So today, we want to love God by learning about him. And so this seems thick. Hang in there. Take notes. Because part of loving God is getting to know him and thinking about him. And he's mind-blowingly beautiful. All right, five words that we're going to look at. Holy, spirit, wind, fire, living, water. And we looked, at, we looked at the name Holy Spirit last week, so this is just review. Holy means divine, set apart, perfect. When we think of the spirit, we are to think of divine. Spirit, ruach in Hebrew, pneuma in Greek, they both point to the same picture uh, that there is wind, breath. So in the Bible, sometimes the words used for the Holy Spirit are also used for the word wind or breath. And we're going to look at why that is helpful. But let's just start with the, the wind part then. Uh, wind. Uh, I was doing some yard work and I live in a cul-de-sac and it was so funny because we have like probably the most leaves on our property of all the houses in our cul-de-sac. So I was trying to clean some things up. And there's a neighbor of ours who, who has no trees in his front yard, but the wind blows all of the leaves into his yard. Poor, poor guy. So I was with a neighbor. We were both trying to clean up. And it cleaned it up, and it looked good. And his yard looked fantastic yesterday. And I came out to drive to church. And there is the poor neighbor, Paul. His front lawn is filled with all of our leaves. And I didn't see who moved those leaves, but the wind. The wind. So I, so I don't see wind. You see what wind does. And so this is a metaphor. It's not saying that the Spirit is wind, but God reveals about himself when the Holy Spirit is moving. You may not see him. You see Jesus, the person. If you're Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, if you're these early disciples, they saw the person, God in flesh. You're not going to see the Spirit in the same way, but he's like the wind, which is a powerful force. Don't think gentle breeze. Think power stored up that moves leaves into the neighbor's yard. Jesus, um, Jesus said in John 3, 8, the wind blows the pneuma, wind, blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So Jesus reminds us of the mystery of God's presence. We are trying to learn about the Holy Spirit, but make no mistake, there's no way for our finite minds to fully grasp how great God is. But what we want to do is leave this place today in awe of the amazing nature of God and that God in his goodness would actually 
let us know enough about himself that we can follow him with our mind, we could follow him with our heart, we could follow him with our soul, we could follow him with our strength. So the spirit is like wind. And then in another place, John 20, verse 21, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, this is after the cross and the resurrection, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. He enumad on them, receive the pneuma. He, so the, the wind you don't see, but you see the effects of the wind. Breath you don't see, but you see the effects. We breathe in, we breathe out, we're alive. We don't see it, but it's real. And so it is with the Holy Spirit. And then later on, Jesus, uh, when he said that the Spirit was going to come in Acts 2, notice what happens. When the day of Pentecost came, 50 days later, after the resurrection, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent pneuma, wind, came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they saw what seemed to be like Tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the holy pneuma. So the wind came, but it's the Spirit who came and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Again, a, a, a metaphor of a violent, strong, heavy, not destructive, but not ordinary wind. Now, this seems strange because in the same one you've got wind and then you have tongues a fire, whatever that is, on top of their heads. And if this seems strange, it just means you're reading. This is strange. But it's actually not strange when you read the whole Bible. It's why next week we're going to look at the Spirit in the first part of the Bible, because you're going to see the wind coming again and again and again, God's presence. You can't see it, but you could see His effects. And when we think of the tongues of fire and the coming of the Spirit, while that seems strange to us, if you were early in the following of Jesus, that would not be strange to you. Here's why. The most common metaphor for the presence of God in the Bible is fire. We don't think about it because we don't know our Bibles as well as they did. But the primary metaphor for God's presence among his people is fire. You don't believe me. Exodus 3, verses 1 through 2. I said get your brain on and get your caffeine moving and write down these verses or watch it again later on. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro's father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There an angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. You keep reading in that conversation. And God speaks to him and presents himself as a fire. Later on, when Moses goes and is used by God to deliver God's people out of Egypt, God appears again. Exodus 13, verse 21. By day the Lord went ahead of God's people, Israel, in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a, quote, pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of of the people. So early on when people are interacting with God, this idea that God is knowable, he's above. He's like the wind. You can't contain God in your brain because he made your brain. But he's knowable and so God's people would physically look 
ahead and they saw what looked like fire and it was God in front of the people leading them. Fire, what does that speak of? It speaks of blazing glory. When you want to get rid of impurity, what do you do? You take a metal that's filled with all sorts of elements and if you want to purify it, you put it to fire and fire helps separate what's there. It, it burns up what's not helpful. It gives light to guide. It gives warmth. And so, again, these are metaphors. God is not fire. But he, when we think about him, he often appears early in the Bible before the coming of Jesus as fire. It also speaks of, fire speaks of passion and desire. And so when you would come to worship God before the coming of Jesus, what would you do? You would bring a sacrifice because you are not holy like God is holy. And so in order to worship God, you would come recognizing he is not like you and you want to be made clean so you could be in his presence. And what would happen to the sacrifice that you brought? You know what would happen? It would go on the what? It would go on the fire. And the picture speaks of passion, of desire. When God came on the tabernacle, on the temper, temple, it was like a cloud. It was like billowing smoke. It was like fire. There's passion and desire. And so I want to worship, so I come to God and I present this innocent in my exchange for what I've done and say, God, purify me. And the symbol is that the animal or the grain, it goes to be purified, to burn away. And so in, in, in real sense, when we come to worship, right, what are, we, what are we coming to do? It's gotta be more than coffee and donuts. What are we coming to do? We are coming to enter God's presence together because of the way of Jesus, right? And we are saying, God, I wanna be with you. I wanna be like you. I want your presence. Now, we don't have these symbols to help guide us but we could be saying, God, by being here, would you purify my life? Purify my mind. Teach me what's right and true. Purify, Lord, I confess my sin to you. Purify me. I'm coming close to a... Have you ever been close to a really, really hot fire? And, and, and the awesomeness of the flames go from warm and nice to frightening. Like, whoa, I am so close. And what we do when we come into worship together is to say, God, we want to draw close to you because you're awesome and incredible. A, a helpful reflection on this, because some of you are like, this is, seems mysterious. Let's, let's make it plain. Romans 12, verse 1. This is to the church in light of the good news of Jesus. Paul says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy that Jesus was presented on the altar, and Jesus paid it all in full, right? To offer your bodies as what? A living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your, your true and proper worship. So in light of the picture of the Holy Spirit as fire, we are now called not to die, so to speak. Jesus Christ died and rose again and paid it off and paid it all. But now we are to present ourselves as living sacrifices. Lord, I want to be like you. Holy Spirit, mend me, make me more like Jesus, that's what we just sang. I want to be like him. Take my life. What we're saying in our worship 
is we want to draw close to the fire and be purified so that we will live more like Jesus. This is a picture of worship. Fire is a helpful metaphor. Okay, we've looked at holy, spirit, and wind, and fire. Let's look at one more. Living water. The Spirit of God is also pictured as living water. John 4, verse 13, just a conversation Jesus is having with a woman who is very sinful, very isolated, and very unloved by the people around her because of her life. So he goes to an outcast woman, speaks with her one-on-one, and offers her living water. John 4, Jesus answered to her, everyone who drinks this water that was in the well will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You're saying, what does that have to do with the Holy Spirit? We're going to read in a few moments that Jesus makes the connection. But uh, water is a life-giving substance. Uh, By the way, water in the early part of the story, before Jesus has this conversation, is what God provided in the desert out of a rock to rescue God's people and keep them alive. And wherever they were in the desert, God provided for the flocks and for the people. He sustained them with, with water from nowhere. You're in the desert. If you've been there, you realize it is so desolate. But this huge community lived for 40 years in the most horrifically hard place. Why? God provided constant sources of water to keep them whole. And then Jesus says to this woman who would know the, the story well, that, that someone's coming who's going to provide water within you that's never going to end. It's going to be alive, more and sustaining. And, and verse 21, it says, a woman replied, Jesus, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father Neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, you Samaritans uh, worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. I don't have time to get into that dimension of the story. But the time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. And then Jesus clarifies God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. If you were listening carefully, you realize that the Son is talking about worshiping the Father, and the way we worship the Father is through the spirit, the spirit of truth. Father, Son, and spirit. So much to say here, but I just want to keep it focused to Jesus' promise the living, what, what they had received in the desert, water to keep them alive, sustaining them, caring for them, refreshing them, was a picture of what Jesus was promising would happen in his coming. We would now receive the ongoing, never-ending, always with us, living presence of God so that day by day, We don't have to wait till Sunday in a building in rows to experience the life-giving presence of God. We will know what God is like and he will be near to us. How? Jesus said, it is the Holy Spirit 
who will be like the well of water living in you, purifying, sustaining. This is what Jesus promises this woman. And if you know the story, you realize she says yes and receives the life-changing presence of Jesus. And it comes by the power of the Spirit. So holy, he's divine. Spirit, he's like breath, like wind. You can't see him like we want to, but you know his nearness. He, he breathes, he comes upon, he blows in power. He's like fire that refines and brings warmth and purifies. And he's like living water. All of these are, these are paling in comparison metaphors that are trying to help us. God is so good. He's putting it in language we can get. But it's language that's only going to take us so far. Because the Holy Spirit is a person, not wind. But this person has all sorts of life-changing capabilities within himself if we are open. You say, Jose, well, why the whole conversation is because there might be things that God wants to do in us that we're not aware of because we don't even understand who he is. I was with my parents yesterday. They'll kill me because they're going to kill me, but they watch us. And they both have iPhones. It's newer to their world. And I, I don't think they know how powerful this $1,000 device uh, is. So yesterday, there were just some things that, like, Mom, it's, it's on your phone. Like, what? Like, yeah. Click, click, click. Holy! Like, it's been in her pocket, in her purse. It's been by her ear. But there was so much more within this device that she just was not able to tap into. It's because she didn't know she wasn't able to enjoy all the things that were there. So this leads us to the second goal. How do we understand God as Father, Son, and Spirit? Because there's more to God for us to know. And we want to grow in that. All of this, by the way, is simple foundation. Because it's when we look at Holy Spirit within us, that will start in January, that these pieces of the puzzle are going to even become more important, but the foundation matters. And this may seem more like lecture, but this is important. How do we know what God is like? Who is God? Here's the first thing we need to know, is in the Bible, the Bible has been given to us uh, from beginning to end, and it's what's called the revelation of God, the, the unfolding, the awareness to us of what God is like. But it's progressive in that if you look at Genesis, you get some bits of who God is, but you got to keep reading. In Exodus, and you see him leading God's people, you see more of what God is like. Leviticus, you see more of what God is like. The reason we read the whole Bible is because it gives us the unfolding story of God letting us know about himself. It's why we need both parts. Most of what Jesus says isn't understandable unless you read the first part of the story. Because Jesus simply explains what was clouded to them. He makes absolutely clear. And so we don't get as much about the Holy Spirit in the first part of the Bible. It's longer in word count, but there's only about 100 cases of the word spirit in the huge part of the Bible. The second part of the Bible, which is narrower, has more than 250. And here's why. Jesus is the one who gives us the most teaching about what the Spirit is like. And so we're going to get to know God over time. And what we learn about God is that God is one, yet God is Trinity. And this is where 
This is kind of mind-blowing. If you've heard the word Trinity before, it's not in the Bible, but it's true. Uh, Trinity is just from the Latin word Trinitas, which means threefold or triad. God is one, but God is one, and yet he is Father, he is Son, he is Spirit. And again, we just need to think about the awesomeness of God. And if God wants us to know about him, we shouldn't gloss it over. We should sit in awe. So what does it mean that God is one? All over the Bible. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God, not gods, God created the heavens and the earth. Later on, it's going to say, God said, let us make man in our image, plural. Mind blow. God makes us in his image, Father, Son, and Spirit. Deuteronomy 4.35, you were shown these things so that you may know that the Lord is God. Besides him, there's no other. Deuteronomy 6.4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? One. And then later on, it affirms in the New Testament. Jesus says, this is eternal life, that you may know the only true God. God is one. First Timothy 2.5, there is one God, one mediator between God and man, uh, mankind, the man, Jesus Christ. So we can make the mistake, and people have in the past, of sometimes thinking that these are three different gods. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. There is one God who made everything, yet he is, he is three persons in one. So if, you're not, if you stop breathing, we'll resuscitate you eventually. But we just need to keep thinking about what the Bible says. The Father is God, 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Yet for us there is but one God, notice, the Father, from whom all things come and for whom we live. There is but one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all things came and through whom we live. The same descriptor about the Father is given about the Son, but Paul's clear. There's one God, the Father is God. But then Jesus is God, the Son, John 1, 1 through 4, in the beginning was the Word, which is Jesus. The Word, Jesus, was with God. The Word, Jesus, was God. He was with God in the beginning. So he is God and he's with God. <laughs> yes. And through him, all things were made. Wait a minute. I thought the Father made things. Yes. I thought the Son made things. Yes. Without him, nothing was made that was, that's been made. In him was life. Wait, I thought God gave life. Yes. But I thought Jesus gave life. Yes. And that life was the light of mankind. So the Father is God. Jesus is God, not less God, not God minus. He is fully God. Now, let's confuse it. The Holy Spirit is God. That shouldn't be confusing but the Bible teaches it. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit? Not to the Father, not to the Son. You've kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? After it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think you could do such a thing? And then Peter gives this crazy statement. You've not lied just to human beings, but to God. You lied to the Holy Spirit, which means you lied to God. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, this is what the Bible teaches. And then we have these statements that bring it all together. Matthew 28, 
19, I could see some of you, you're, you have so much white in your eyes, you're scaring me. But this is just, this, you should be in awe of God. You have these statements, Matthew 28, therefore Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, and here's how you do it. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptize them in the name of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And then at the end of a letter, Paul says to the church, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God the Son, God the Father, God the Spirit. And at this point, if your mind's just spinning and you're kind of blown away, that is the point. The point is to fall in love with a God who's so far above, yet knowable. So whatever we learn about God, we have to admit this. God revealed it to us, which means it matters. Because some would say, well, does it really make a difference if you think about this? It does, because God wanted us to know what he's like. And I think it's interesting. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus seems to be the source where we get the favor we don't deserve because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And the love of God. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And here, this is what you need to catch. The relationship that we have with the triune God, with the Trinity, is through the Spirit. The fellowship, the family nature of the Holy Spirit be with you all. If we ignore the Holy Spirit, we are ignoring the God that we can know. And the way that we understand who Jesus is, is by means of the Holy Spirit. And the way we're going to spend eternity with the Father is through the Holy Spirit. So this is not an exercise in confusion or futility. This matters because the Holy Spirit wants you to know him. Not as force, not as mist, but as God come to you so that you can know this God and that you can know one another in relationship with this God and so that we can act and live as God's people here on the earth. This really matters and it's also mind-blowing. So how do we understand God is Father, Son, and Spirit. I'm going to make an attempt that will probably fail. When in doubt, when trying things, just say it's going to fail. And if it works, it will seem better. Okay? So how do we know, how do we know what God is like? This is the best explanation I've ever heard from a professor, Bruce Ware, is his name. And he's, and he's like, draw a circle. I can't draw, but my wife can cut. So welcome. Because this is, you see, there is one thing here, but we have God, the Father, we have God, the Son, we have God, the Spirit, and when you look at it from different dimensions, sometimes you're going to see the Father, and sometimes you're going to see the Spirit, and sometimes we're pointed to the Son, but they are not three distinct in that they're three different gods. They are three persons, and when you lay them down, they are not the same the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit, but you cannot separate them. So, so sometimes you get a vantage point like this, where it's like, I don't know who God is. <laughs> and other times you're pointed to the Father, or to the Son, or to the Spirit, 
And if this does not help you, just nod and say, thank you very much. Don't do that again. <laughs> but it helped me to see that, that we're not talking about just personalities. We're talking about three separate persons. But yet, you cannot pull them apart. And the reason that you cannot pull them apart is when you see the Bible, you realize that there are three persons, but they share one nature. So God is one. And you cannot have God without the Son. You cannot have God without the Father. You cannot have God without the Spirit. We're not talking about um, superior and inferior. They share one nature, one divine essence. And, and this is not fully knowable. But we want to honor God the way God describes himself. So what do the Father, Son, and Spirit share? One nature. And here's where we see it. The Spirit is eternal. That is, there's no beginning and no end. Just like the Father and the Son. Hebrews 9, 14. How much more will the blood of Christ through the eternal Spirit offer himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. The blood of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit cleanses us, makes us holy, burns away sin so that we can serve the living God. And I'll just throw Father in there. Father, Son, and Spirit. Spirit eternal. Uh, the Spirit's all-knowing. Spirit knows everything, just like the Father and the Son. 1 Corinthians 2, 10, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. It's why we can't neglect Him. Anything you know about the Father or the Son has come through the Spirit. So what I want to do is recognize the Spirit and grow in relationship with the Spirit who knows everything. And the Spirit's everywhere, just like the Father and the Son. David the psalmist says, where can I go from your Spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my beds in the depths, you are there. There's nowhere in all of God's creation that the Father is not moving and the, and the Son is not moving and the Spirit in particular is not moving. Okay. I know this is a lot, but you can take it because this is who God is. And this is what God is like. All right, let's just ask the other question. What, that's what they share. They're all-knowing. All They're all everywhere. And, and they all rule together. What makes each person, though, unique? And this is where the Bible is helpful. Because there is a difference in what each person does. And what we're going to see is things come from the Father. They're one person, but their roles and relationship are different. Things in the Bible always come from the Father. They don't start with the Son. They're from the Father. Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Blessed be God the Father. Father over, Father of our Lord Jesus. Things come, things come to us from the Father. And, and, it, and the, the Son only does what the Father says. Explain that. They're, 
their roles and their relationship, they're equal, but yet they have different functions. Things come through the Son. So they start with the Father, they come through the Son. John 3, 16. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. So everything that we get from the Father comes through the Son. And so Jesus, the Son, is the head of all things. But even that, the Bible says he, he's under the Father. I, I don't fully get it. But 40 times in John alone, John's gospel alone, Jesus makes clear that things come from the Father through him. And so it's mind-blowing, and I love, I love God, and I'll worship him. But things are sent or accomplished by the Holy Spirit. They come from the Father, they come through the Son, but they're sent out or they're accomplished by the Spirit. John 14, 26, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I've told you. So the early Jesus movement, the church, it didn't go out until the Holy Spirit came. And in Acts 2, the Spirit comes and the church is born by the Spirit. The Spirit gives birth to the Jesus community and the Spirit now sends Jesus' people to do the work of the Father that comes through the Son. And I don't, I, I, I don't get it all. Here's what I know. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they are unique and distinct and yet they're one. And so what you see is complete harmony and complete love and complete togetherness. Let us make mankind in our image. And what we're going to see in the next few months, this call to unity, this call to love, this call to partnership, this call to togetherness, this call to relationship that is given to Jesus' people, the church, is simply to image what God is like. You are distinct and different than I am. And yet because of Jesus Christ, we are united, we are one, and we're called to now reflect to the world the God that we know, Father, Son, and Spirit, working in unity, working in love, working with distinct, different roles. We don't become God, okay? Let me clarify. But we can reflect what God is like. And that's the beautiful call of following Jesus. All right, what do we need to remember according to today? A whole lot. <laughs> but what, 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 I, I'm going to narrow it down to three things I think might be helpful, okay? And if you didn't take any notes, hint, 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 this is the exam. There's no test. But I think this will summarize everything we just said. God's bigger than our minds will ever conceive. He's bigger. This is good. This is not a contradiction in logic. This does not mean that God is obscure. He's very knowable, but he's above. God has made himself known as Father, Son, and Spirit. And so we ought to honor and worship the triune God, not neglecting any person. And so we'll go full circle. The Holy Spirit is often the forgotten God. And that could be to our own detriment. Because God has revealed himself, and the Spirit is a person, not a less than God, to not learn of him, know him, 
grow in relationship with him, listen to him, be guided by him, be comforted by him, would be foolishness for us, and we don't want to live foolish. We've been invited. So I'll, I'll recap what Jesus said again. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Okay, so let me answer those questions. Why does it matter that people, that you asked, why does it matter that the Spirit is not, you know, just an impersonal force? Because we're talking about God. And to, to minimize the work of the Spirit is to not know God for who He is. And so we want to honor and worship God, not as we want Him to be, but as He has revealed Himself. And let's get down to the praying thing. Should, when should I pray to the Father? When should I pray to the Son? When should I pray to the Spirit? We are praying to one God. So whenever I say, Father, help me, God is honored. Whenever I say, Jesus, help me, God is honored. Whenever I say, Holy Spirit, help me, God is honored. You can pray to Father. As a matter of fact, Jesus taught us to pray, our Father in heaven. And people say, well, that's the prayer. Well, actually, Jesus later said, You've never prayed in my name, but now I want you to pray in my name, which is not in the Lord's Prayer. So is Jesus contradicting the Father? No. We are learning to grow in praying to the God who is Father, who is Son, who is Holy Spirit. We say then, then who cares? Well, if you're the Holy Spirit, He cares. And so there are times where I find myself simply saying, Holy Spirit, you are here. You are in me. You are with me. I'm asking you to help me. And God is pleased when I know him as God. But you're not incorrect in praying to the Father in the Son. And he's not trying to confuse us. He's inviting us to pray to him because he loves us. So what do we need? We need to recapture a God who is above. And then we want to lean in and let the fire of the Holy Spirit impact our world. We need the Holy Spirit who's like the wind to come upon us in powerful ways when we need him. To burn away the things that are unlike Jesus. We need the Spirit who is like living water to sustain us in seasons of drought and dryness and confusion. And this is why we need Father. This is why we need Son. This is why we need Spirit. We want to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so I'm going to invite um, Casey, I'm going to invite Meredith to lead us and guide us. And we're going to make our way to communion. And, and we're just going to remind ourselves today, God the Father sent the Son to pay for our sin debt in full so that now when the Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of our life, helping us see what God is like, we can respond to the Holy Spirit and place our faith in Jesus, and in that way, honor the Father and see what I just did. I honor God for who he is and what he's like. And so today when we take communion, we're going to take it in the name of the Father. We're going to take it in the name of the Son. We're going to take it in the name of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to admit we don't get it, but we want more and not less of him. Lord, we invite you now to show us your way and reveal goodness so that we can be the people that you promised, Jesus, that would worship you in the Holy Spirit and in the truth. 
And so, Lord, the things that seem confusing, Holy Spirit of God, you said you would remind us of everything that Jesus taught and you'd lead us and guide us to obedience. And so, as we're learning, Lord, Holy Spirit, guide us. Even guide the way we pray. Guide us into your heart. Guide us into the things that matter most to you. We just don't want to shoot words at you again and again and again. We want to align our hearts with your heart, Father, Son, and Spirit. And we need you to guide us in this way because we confess we don't even get it. So Lord, we worship you in response because how great you are. Help us now to do this together in a room and to do this one-on-one when we're at home alone. May we honor you, Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray.